Welcome back to Africa's a Country Talk. My name is William Shortkey, and you are listening to the weekly talk and interview show brought to you by Africa's a Country. A reminder to subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts, as well as to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and check our website regularly for new writing. So I'm very excited for today's episode. We are going to be chatting with Carl Kluter, who is the former Deputy General Secretary of NUMSA, which is the National Union of Metal Workers South Africa, which has for a time been the single largest trade union in the country, has been influential in terms of shaping labor politics in the country as well as South Africa's political landscape in general. And what we want to chat with Carl about is his time in NUMSA, as well as getting his perspective on the state of the trade union movement in South Africa today. Carl, welcome to the show. Thank you, William. Nice to be on the show. So I just want to start by getting a sense of how you got involved in the labor movement in South Africa. What brought you in? I think I probably got influenced by my upbringing on a farm and uh, the observations of how uh, farm workers, uh, including my parents, got mm. treated, evicted, and having to move from one farm to the other. Mm. Um, and uh, in high school, um, I um, got to observe students uh, forming uh, debating societies. Mm. Which year was this roughly? Uh, which years? Um, yeah. This would have been 1980 mm. um, because I left school at uh, uh, 82. Um, so it would be 1980, 81. And um, at high school, I was not active in the student politics. I would say that I was more an observer, but an observer that could relate to the issues of justice, I could relate to the uh, issues of um, discrimination. Uh, again, going back to my upbringing on the farm and having observed, and then over the years as I grew up, uh, trying to make sense of the world uh, in which we lived mm. um, and the society. And so on high school, um, um, I, I picked this up. As I left high school, I almost immediately uh, got employed in a company called Atlantis Diesel Engines. And it was years later that I discovered uh, the production process and the final product was in fact um, a business created by apartheid, mm. the National Party at the time, uh, to produce diesel engines um, for the war machines in Namibia or oh, Southwest wow. Africa. Where was the company the based? Time, the company was based in Atlantis. Mm. And uh, to fast forward that company before it closed its doors um, um, could have been 1995-1996 when Trevor Manuel was the 
Minister of Trade and Industry, um, had a contract with Cuba uh, to, to produce and deliver uh, diesel engines uh, for their machinery uh, on the, um, in the sugar uh, production and, and so on. So um, my trade union um, history uh, would probably start uh, in the period 83. Um, I should also say when I was a student, uh, I didn't get involved in student politics, mm. but through the civic movement, we assisted um, to organize workers for trade unions um, like the South African Allied Workers Union, SAW, and the Clothing Workers Union at the time. Mm. So what was it like getting involved in the union movement in the 1980s? Because that was a time of great ferment. Uh, the Durban moment had recently uh, come and it felt like it was still approaching its peak. And trade union organization was really starting to, to enter the South African political landscape then. So how did you experience getting started when things were escalating? It was a completely different environment, as you can imagine. Mm. Um, you could hardly organize workers by standing at a factory gate to issue a pamphlet to recruit workers. You couldn't do that because the uh, security police of the apartheid state would be um, in the vicinity. And if you were seen uh, to be organizing and recruiting workers, you would certainly be uh, detained, mm -hmm. kept in solitary confinement uh, for as long as they saw necessary. So one of the tactics we would uh, use was um, to borrow um, you know, protective clothing or the overall of a worker employed at that company and we would enter um, the workplace uh, as one of the uh, people working there and then mm -hmm. uh, recruit workers. So it was completely a, a, a different situation. But I would imagine that you had uh, more uh, or a, a deeper commitment um, to not just organizing workers, to service them, to politicize mm. them. So you were both a student, you became an organizer, you became an educator, you became an agitator, you became a mobilizer, mm. uh, all in one, um, without any reward. Because you saw it as a necessary um, commitment and work to bring workers into the struggle of workers, but into the broader struggle of the working class. Mm. And and thinking of broader struggles at that time, uh, the 1980s and approaching the middle of the 1980s, the labor movement was in the middle of a very decisive debate about the future of the labor movements in South Africa, thinking about, for example, uh, you know, Joe Foster's famous speech about where Fosatu stands, about whether or not it would, it would participate in the national liberation struggle and whether or not 
the trade union movement should remain independent and prioritize working class struggle rather than national liberation struggle. As that debate was happening in the 1980s, how did you interpret things and how do you sort of square what you were thinking back then to obviously what has been the subsequent fate of the labor movement since those those decisions were taken to yeah. to join up with the national liberation struggle it is a, it is a very fascinating uh, history Emil, in that uh, uh, joe foster at the time uh, being the general secretary of fosato um, had a um, particular perspective which mm. one finds in a very important paper he did uh, to a Fossati National Congress. Um, a paper that would later earn him the label and all of those who associated with as, as workers. As <laughs> and uh, of course uh, coming from uh, uh, people who were um, aligned to the United Democratic Front, the UDF, uh, people who um, were in the ANC underground uh, because they were banned at the time, uh, people who advocated the politics of the South African Congress of Trade Union SAPTU, um, and generally the politics of the South African Communist Party who stood in opposition to uh, the workerist notion of what they regarded as a pure economic um, workerist uh, struggle mm -hmm. when in fact uh, on the other side the um, those aligned to the ANC and SAPTU and the SACP um, would argue that uh, it is important for workers um, to participate actively in their economic struggles against exploitation uh, for better working conditions. But as they leave the factory, as they leave the workplace, they get into a community um, where they are evicted, where their electricity is cut off, where rent prices would go up without consultation. Um, and therefore workers would have to see themselves involved in their day-to-day -day factory struggles, but also the community struggles. But then that there's a broader struggle against oppression, discrimination, Mm. exploitation and uh, and therefore that you can't uh, uh, prosecute a struggle which is limited uh, to the workplace and against the bosses and that you've got to look at a picture where there is a ruling class uh, um, who um, is firmly in control of a state which is capitalist and how uh, the state would use uh, the question of race, gender, and location um, to discriminate against people and groups of people. And so I found myself at the time um, uh, in the UDF yeah. um, 
I served in the structures of the UDF and we were loosely referred to as charters uh, as a result mm. of our uh, support for the Freedom Charter. And it's interesting <coughs> that when I entered NUMSA um, as a member and as a shop steward, uh, it was one of the first political clashes mm. that I uh, became involved in. Mm. You, ent you entered NUMSA in 1989, 87. So thinking back to that time, uh, you were having your beginnings as a shop steward and that was a time of transition for South Africa. The 1990s, the UDF structures are, are disbanded and you, you begin your, your life as a, as a, as a unionist um, at NUMSA. What, did you, do you have any particular goals or, or, or things you wanted to achieve? What, what were the, what did it feel like the prospects were for trade union organization back then? Was the mood optimistic or was it one of skepticism as the transition began? I must say that certainly becoming involved in the trade union for me and for uh, the trade union activists of the time, let me say not all of them, for many, um, it was a commitment rather than um, a prospect of getting anywhere. Mm. Um, uh, I would say for many, because there are numerous examples mm. of how the activism of yesteryear was a stepping stone into the gravy train. NUMSA was launched in May 1987. I became a member of NUMSA on the 7th of August 1987 and uh, the one of the debates of the time was how the trade union movement would relate uh, to the um, secret talks of the ANC um, and the National Party and their mm. intelligence services uh, uh, um, which started um, uh, around 87, um, how we would relate to the, the ANC's approach uh, to talks about talks, how we would relate to the fact that um, influential um, individuals uh, from the Afrikaner white minority community mm -hmm. Uh, make up with the ANC in Lusaka on the realization that both the ANC and the National Party would be unable to defeat each other militarily. Um, there would be no overthrow in the immediate, at least from their perspective. Um, and so those meetings uh, took place. So where would the trade union movement stand on those um, I think another important aspect was the, the Harare um, uh, Constitutional mm. Guidelines mm. or Harare Declaration, which in a way set out the kind of future society that South Africa should uh, be uh, working for. 
And um, so in that context, Nunsa, I should say, was quite a trendsetter in some of the debates, uh, which if fast forward, when the ANC came with uh, ready to govern and, and documents such as those, we felt that three important things must happen in mm. the transition. Um, the first one is that we should never lose any minute or moment in the Codesa um, talks uh, to organize, mobilize, and have the masses almost um, on standby all the time mm -hmm. to, to ensure that the outcome of those negotiations are not uh, negotiations that would be to the detriment of uh, the masses, the working class in particular. Okay. And of course, at the time, there were numerous uh, discussion papers. I remember um, discussion papers about Codesa and what room for compromise by people like Eric Walla, people like Jeremy Cronin, mm. people like Paolo Jordan, people like Joso, and many, many, many others. Um, that was the first thing. The second thing was to say that the economic speak of the ANC then um, uh, wasn't too assuring uh, in that um, you could not have a very clear statement about the economic aspects of the freedom charter. Mm. And we were proven right because hardly had uh, Mandela uh, got to Davos when he uh, denounced nationalization. Mm. That uh, for us was a sign. But we then said, we would want a reconstruction accord with the ANC. Not a manifesto, but an accord. Mm. And a contract which would bind the ANC to a working class demands. And that would be the basis upon which we would mobilize workers to support the African National Congress, mm. not on a manifesto, but on an accord in which we put forward um, our demands and the ANC is welcome to put forward what it sees um, as an important. And the reason why we did so was be we believe that uh, the working class is the most consistent um, and most reliable. Mm. And therefore, uh, it is in the interest. In any case, the ANC had always argued that in their national democratic revolution that the working class um, is and must be the motor force of the revolution. Mm. Our reconstruction accord, and it would be wonderful for people to, to kind of research and get hold of a copy of the accord, which was the forerunner of the reconstruction and development program. So 
the ANC and elements in Fusatu and of course the SACP objected to Numsa's coming up with this accord. Mm, mm. And through discussions, uh, we ended up with a reconstruction and development program, RDP, mm. um, which was a compromise we uh, were ready to settle on because there were uh, uh, transformative aspects of that RDP, not all in all what we were looking for, yeah. but it created some middle ground. And then of course, the third um, decision by NUMSA, uh, uh, which was in 1993 in the National Congress, was that uh, we should break with the ANC and that we should build a working a workers' party mm. already in 1993. Mm. Unfortunately, when we took it to Fusato, we were a lone voice and could not get support. Mm. Um, and, and I mentioned that because that's the kind of political, ideological work that NUMSA uh, at the time was capable of generating mm. and advocating uh, even when they were within the ANC led alliance. Mm. Why do you think why do you think the NUMSA decided against the resolution in the face of Kosatu not being in favor of it? Why couldn't it have just I mean, I'm trying to get a sense of the strategic calculation in terms of remaining affiliated to Kosatu versus but breaking away with the NC, possibly breaking with Kosatu, and then charting a, an independent uh, political trajectory for for Numsa. How? Yeah. What's your sense of how that that trade off was made? I would argue that uh, Numsa, as dynamic as it has always been, um, consisted of a membership that politically were in uh, many different political uh, organizations with different persuasions. Mm. And uh, we also, within NUMSA, had different um, ideological strands. There would have been those that would have regarded themselves as Marxist-Leninists. There would be those who uh, others would have regarded as Trotskyites. There would mm -hmm. be those others would have called syndicalists, and so on and so forth. And so always Numsa had um, this position that the unity of workers uh, comes first. Now, um, if, if we backtrack just a little bit and to see how Numsa, Numsa had to contend with those issues within its own ranks, when, it, when it, it was never affiliated to the UDF, but it worked closely with uh, the UDF. Yeah. And in KwaZulu-Natal, um, there was a serious conflict and, and violent conflict between the UDF Minkata. And in Numsa you had uh, UDF supporters and you had Minkata supporters. 
and you would invariably find that NUMSA members are fighting with each other, not because of NUMSA, but because of politics. Mm. And uh, if you ask me why did NUMSA not uh, advocate a situation of going it alone and, and, and rallying uh, other forces who believe at the Workers' Party uh, idea, then I would say uh, the um, consideration for NUMSA had always been its unity. Mm. Um, and the fact that it wanted to, through persuasion, get its members in a particular political direction without forcing them into it. And, and I think um, this is what made NUMSA to have never seen a split. Mm. Um, this is what kept NUMSA uh, from 1987 uh, up to 2022. Uh, this is what made NUMSA the biggest union in Africa and in South Africa. Um, of course, things are not uh, what they should be, um, but I thought that uh, there was uh, wisdom in. Uh, the fact that when Kusatu rejected the idea of a workers' party, that NUMSA abided and uh, took its time to influence Kusatu over time. You should also remember that at the time, the current Minister of Finance, mm -hmm. you know, Kodongwana, uh, was the uh, General Secretary of NUMSA when he took yeah. The resolution 1993. He was against it, but uh, was forced <laughs> to <surprised. laughs> present it in the uh, Kusatu Congress, um, which again shows you uh, what for me was the level of uh, democratic discussion, debate, and adherence to decisions taken, whether you liked it or not. He no care to say, let's break the alliance. Meanwhile, he was a member of the national core of the South African Communist Party, um, of the working groups within the ANC. Um, and I'm certain he got a flag from the ANC and SACP for allowing them to take such a decision. But that's the wonderful moments for me, at least, that mm. I would treasure forever. Mm. Yeah, sorry, sorry to fast forward now to to what I'm sure were, were much more difficult moments, but thinking about decision taken at the time in 1993 to, to split, almost 20 years later, the split does happen. Nomsa leaves the tripartite alliance mm -hmm. and leaves Kosatu. But before we talk about that, going earlier to sort of the pivotal moments that's set in motion the historical process which culminated in that breakaway uh, in 2008 that's when you become deputy general secretary of numsa it's also the year uh, in which uh, jacob zuma assumes control of the african national congress it's the same year of the financial crisis so it's a, a very eventful year in terms of what happens that will shape future politics in in very fundamental ways uh, when you took up that position, what was your assessment of the state of play and 
when uh, the trade union movement backed Zuma's um, election to ANC president. What's your recollection of, of how that all went down? Yeah, I should say that uh, for all of the many years, uh, NOMSA always had a perspective to the left of Kusati, mm. the ANC, and the SNCP. Um, and we had very close association with uh, uh, comrades, uh, the trade union movement in Brazil, um, and comrades uh, in Piti in Brazil. And in fact, um, Lula became a very close friend of NUSA mm. and its leadership. And we were more um, geared towards uh, that side of the politics than any other. Um, of course, in later years, we developed uh, friendship and relationships with uh, uh, comrades in Venezuela, mm. uh, in Cuba, in Bolivia, um, and so on. Um, um, and, and this is also how, at some point, we affiliated to the World Federation of Trade Unions mm. and, 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 and had a a connection and a link with the uh, KKE Communist Party in Greece and so on. So that's always been Nusa's mm. uh, posture mm. and its outlook and so on. Um, of course, towards Polokwane was um, a very difficult moment for every organization that was within the fold of the ANC Red Alliance. Um, because within, there were very serious uh, debates. Mm. And I should say very serious divisions mm. about whether Kusato should at all pronounce on the ANC's leadership, whether it should at all support uh, particular candidate for the ANC and I can tell you in Nomsa it was no different we would have had a national executive committee I remember um, just a few months before Polokwane conference and uh, uh, debates went until early hours of the morning anything between four and five to try and find consensus which we couldn't uh, uh, which was between Mbeki, um, Suma, mm. and uh, Khalema. Um, and I can say this today, and you'll be the first to know it. I've never said it because I've always <laughs> subscribed to decisions of the organization. Mm, mm. But I can today say, that I argued with a mandate from Nomsa Western Cape Province mm. that we would prefer Khalema Motlante over everybody else if we were to put forward a name. And of course, um, that's uh, carried uh, minority support, mm. but we argued fiercely, aggressively against Zuma. Um, 
for, for, for many different reasons, which on another day we can talk about, uh, which brought us into almost permanent conflict within the organization. Um, so after that, you would be, when you raise an issue uh, on principle, you would be remember, remembered as the person who was against Zuma. Mm -hmm. um, and, and comrades would not look at you for the objective issues you're raising, but for subjective reasons, just reject what you have to say. So it became very difficult. I don't even want to talk about those who got purged and dismissed out of uh, NOMSA and many other organizations. Um, 2008 um, uh, was difficult for me because I never had aspirations of going um, uh, beyond what I was doing. Mm. Um, at the time in 2008, I was Secretary in of NOMSA in the Western Cape, and but uh, because of the Zuma politics, because of the ANC politics that found expression in NOMSA, uh, I was voted out in the Western Cape uh, as a provincial secretary, which I became in 2004. Mm. But I was happy to become an ordinary organizer, which I became. But uh, comrades elsewhere felt that uh, um, they would not accept the fact that I was uh, removed in the province and uh, that they were going to nominate me. I didn't want to accept that. Um, and they were saying that unless this happens, Mm. Anyone else who wants to leave NUMSA must completely forget about that. They would reorganize and so on. Anyway, uh, long story short, I became uh, Deputy General Secretary um, in um, 2008, October of that year. Mm. One of the things I said, William, um, not as a condition, uh, but in order for me to accept this position, mindful of the fact that historically, Deputy General Secretaries are seen as glorified administrators mm. and looking after the finances of the organization. I said that that would not happen with me. I'm an activist uh, with a history of involvement in unions, in the civic movement and um, unless I can exercise my activism mm. in this position I would rather not accept it so I'm not going to be any administrator yes I will take responsibility for the duties and the tasks and responsibilities of that position but I would also actively particip participate in the political and ideological work of the union, mm. which, which, which worked, and uh, with a lot of struggle and fighting, but it worked. And, uh, and uh, after 34 years in 
in November 2020, I decided to take a break from uh, active union work. And this is where I'm at now. Mm. So thinking about the time from when you were Deputy General Secretary, I think obviously a, a highlight moment, I'm sure, would have been when Numsa took the decision to to exit Kosatu and in so doing, exiting the tripartite alliance and becoming an independent trade union. And you've spoken a, a lot about the importance of trade unions remaining independent and not tethered to any political party. That moment, I think, is, is analyzed by lots of people as being the, the moment from when the ANC's national liberation hegemony started to erode because it had lost the support of the biggest trade union in South Africa. So thinking back to that moment and recalling how it was and sitting where you're at now, to what extent do you think that thesis holds? Because it still seems that the ANC's political imaginary still permeates so deeply across society and that NUMSA's breakaway from the alliance and from COSATU as a trade union federation and the establishment of SAFTU as, as an independent trade union federation has not yet put in motion a kind of alternative imagining to to the ANC and to the left of the ANC. So yeah, what's your assessment of what the repercussions of that decision has been? And in the, in the making of that decision, uh, where were you at and how did you feel? Yeah, you would forgive me if I uh, to and fro Absolutely, please do. Um, and you would also forgive me if part of the things that I'm not telling you is not because I don't want to, <laughs> but I'm reserving that uh, for the book that I am busy with. Oh, that's um, exciting. Excellent. And, uh, when that's uh, out, I'll interview you first again. <laughs> we'll agree to it now. We'll get some more insights. But, um, you know, 2012, uh, we met in KwaZulu-Natal in our eighth, um, ninth National Congress. Mm. And in that Congress, we were still talking swelling the ranks of the ANC, but recognizing that the National Democratic Revolution as the um, outlook of the ANC-led alliance is operating off track, and we called it a booby trap mm. in 2012. And I think that was the beginnings of um, questioning not only the National Democratic Revolution, but the extent to which the ANC um, is the relevant and appropriate vehicle. Now, but swell the ranks, and, and so that would show you the dominant uh, force inside NUMSA not breaking with the ANC in 2012. But what we noted, um, importantly, 
was, and we, we had an extensive critique of the National Development Plan. Mm. Um, I think two things we were clear, or three things, uh, that the, and this is beside our rejection of gear um, in 1996, mm. our rejection of any other macroeconomic framework uh, after gear, as Giza and all of the rest. Mm. But of the national development planning, we would say freedom charters being abundant by the ANC for a new liberal policy uh, in the NDP. Two, we said, and we did a comparative analysis uh, and the documents are there for everyone to see that the ANC's um, NDP, although it's a government program, but uh, driven by the ANC, is a cut and paste of the democratic alliances, open opportunity society policy. And if you look at it, which we did, and we showed shop stewards the comparison, it was a carbon copy, mm. literally a carbon copy. So we said we can't accept that. And then of course, the third important issue was uh, uh, how the ANC would have dealt with the uh, international financial capitalist crisis. Um, um, you would remember at some point the SACP and Kusatu made a statement to say that when they assess the first 10 years of democracy, then the first 10 years benefited uh, white monopoly capital and that the second de uh, decade should belong to the working class. Well, we could find no trace and evidence that the ANC and the ANC government um, had any plan uh, to make sure that the working class and the rural poor would be beneficiaries of the second decade and beyond, whether it is housing, whether it is jobs, whether it is education, whether it is health. Mm. Um, and so that was a blowback. Mm. Um, and of course, we, we then decided that uh, uh, with all the things happening in the economy, deindustrialization, uh, with no attempt and endeavor to reindustrialize, everything is said about beneficiation and stopping the exportation of our raw minerals. Uh, but nothing in terms of the uh, practical actions required to do something. And on a whole host of economic questions, we, we could no longer see it uh, uh, proper for uh, Kusatu to stay yeah. in the ANC-led alliance. Now, and Marikana happened. I'm of sure course, Marikana and then also the fees must fall happened. Um, and so there were pockets 
of many things that showed very clearly that uh, uh, we've got to start um, a conversation in our union uh, to arrive at uh, a conclusion as to whether we can continue to offer our support to the ANC. Um, I must say that the build up then to December 2013, when UMSA convened its special national congress, was yeah. preceded that year with um, local policy workshops, provincial policy workshops, which culminated in a national policy workshop. And almost every resolution that came out of that uh, December 2013 Special National Congress, which was generally referred to as the Munsa moment, was a bottom-up process. Mm. But here <laughs> and there is where it ended. Mm. And I'll tell you why. Um, there was, and there is no evidence that post uh, 2013 December there was a deliberate effort in Nomsa to report back the outcome of the Congress, to discuss with its members and its officials the implications of the resolutions that we are done with the ANC and that would impact on how we vote into the future. That would impact on how we build um, the United Front as an alliance between workers and the community. That would, that would have to take us away from Kusatu now that we expelled into building a new independent uh, federation of trade unions and now that we say we're done with the ANC SACP that there's a need to build a workers party going back to our resolution of 1993 that did not happen mm. from 2014 to 2022 mm. so when I say it was the beginning of a NUMSA moment and the end and the NUMSA moment did not just get people excited in the country. It got people excited on the continent. Mm, it got people excited internationally. In a colloquium that we had organized after that um, December uh, Congress, we had um, a direct um, message of support from the president of Bolivia, Morales, mm -hmm. into the mm -hmm. NUMSA uh, International Colloquium, uh, applauding NUMSA for the uh, decision we've taken. We have been hosted by, when Chavez was still alive, um, by his party, uh, where we presented uh, the essence of the NUMSA moment. So it was a big thing, mm. but it ended there. Because mm. I think that too many uh, interpretations of the real meaning of the NUMSA
was a moment got lost in the process for uh, sectarian reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would argue for elitist uh, uh, analysis um, and bad choices mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. made. And, 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 and the proof and the evidence um, of my statement that it was the beginning and the end um, and the fact that and, and the reason for that is that we never went back to metal workers to explain um, you've given us a broad mandate to reflect this is the outcome how do we move forward is when in May 2019 um, the Socialist Revolutionary Workers Party uh, went to the polls and invited people to support it into parliament and provincial. Mm-hmm. And a NUMSA at the time of 364,000 members uh, could not bring their votes to the SLWP. In fact, in the 25,000, let's say, uh, votes the SRWP got, it cannot be said that it's 25,000 votes. It must be said that it's from somewhere in South Africa that may include NUMSA members. That must tell you that unless you take your base and the rank and file with you, you can take the most radical of resolutions. But if it doesn't have support of those you are leading, Mm -hmm. then you are in trouble. But Mm -hmm. we have also cautioned, and it's within the resolutions when I was still in the leadership of the union, that NUMSA would never transform itself into a political party. Because we're not. We're a trade union. And we have members of the DA in UMSA, of the ANC, of the EFF. And if NUMSA begins to um, compel people, then it is no longer a trade union. Then it, it is in the realm of a political party. Mm. And we said NUMSA should not do so. So one of the mistakes that it did and it did not listen to itself and its own resolutions is when you make your um, NUMSA general secretary a chairperson of the Socialist Revolutionary Mm. Workers Party. So when the person speaks, the question arises, who is speaking today? Mm. Is it NUMSA or is it a political party speaking? Whether it is on ESCO and privatization um, or the just transition or um, any matter for that, uh, who is speaking? Mm. Um, and, and, and conflating, uh, you know, the party with uh, the union and vice versa um, is not helpful to. Mm. In fact, it, it, it has the greatest potential to fragment and to weaken the union. Mm. I want to talk about some of that now because the, the state of the trade union movement 
as it is across the world is in a dire state now and we'll talk about some of those objective factors contributing to that in a moment but thinking to some of the subjective factors some of which you've canvassed now i've wondered to what extent does that arise out of the politics which have been ingrained in south africa's political history i'm thinking here of the commitment to marxist leninism and you can i think there's a lot of ways to interpret what marxist leninism means yeah. but i think in this context uh it means ascribing to principles of democratic centralism and uh a sort of understated vanguardism and all of that stuff which in the end i think the biggest consequences as you're describing now this growing chasm between union leadership and the rank and file so why do you think that's so pervasive and what do we do to get beyond that not necessarily parting with all of it if that's not necessary but at least revising that to understand that the way forward must be one that is rooted in democratic principles or at least uh, a different way of understanding contemporary politics yeah um, you know, the very scientific approach to Marxism would be to accept that nothing is static mm. um, and that everything evolves. Um, so what might have been applicable in 1905 and 1970 um, surely cannot be applicable today because society has changed capitalism has restructured mm. and one of the reasons uh, I mean Marx would have been correct for example when he says um, that Capitalism is a crisis-ridden uh, system, and it has improved. But one has got to go and examine when Marx says that it will be its own grave digger, mm. because what capitalism has shown is its resilience, mm. its ability to innovate its ability to transform, its ability to restructure. Um, and so one can see if you look at globalization and the mo mobility of finance capital um, and when capital chooses uh, low-cost economies over high-cost economies, then you've got to say what does this mean uh, if you look at issues such as the dictatorship of the proletariat? Because in the process of globalization, uh, capital with its restructuring has restructured the working class mm. so that you have different strata within mm. the working class um, whose economic position is not the same as it would have been decades ago. Mm. 
Um, and in that context, how do you deal with that question? Um, when you, for example, look at Cuba, I am certain, as I sit here, um, with a high level of conviction, that the Cuban economy and society would have been different from the vintage cars that you see still today had it not been for the economic blockade. Mm. You would have had the opening up of a society. But Cuba is forced to defend its revolution and its revolutionary gains against the empire to hold on to what it considers to be its path of development um, uh, on socialism being at the center of its development. But you would have seen something different had it not been for the blockade. And so one has got to accept then that uh, uh, you're dealing with uh, a different kind of imperialism as well. Mm. Um, of course, one of the things that remains true is that the military complex remains at the center of what imperialism does, but it has found sophisticated ways to find nation states to collaborate and work with it. Uh, I mean, one only has to count how many uh, military command centers the United States Army has on the African continent. Um, and, and it's increasing, it's not decreasing. And so all of those things one has got to uh, make sure that you apply your Marxism in a changed environment without abandoning Marxism. So as a Marxist, I'm, I'm hardly at the point of, of losing faith. No, faith is the wrong word, <laughs> because then you sound religious <laughs> in Marxism. Um, to lose hope in, in, in um, what Marxism is all about. Oh, I'm not uh, about to abandon um, what Lenin would have said at any given political time. For me, or Rosa Luxemburg, or Gramsci, or Trotsky, what is important is to read what they said into our situation today. Um, and one fundamental point as a trade union activist uh, in the South African context is the realization that um, unions are only representative of 27% of the workforce mm -hmm. in the private and the public. It must tell us something. Mm -hmm. uh, it must tell us something that the unions have no uh, concrete and coherent connection with the unemployed and unemployed movements. Mm. No alliance whatsoever. Um, it must tell us something about the informal uh, sector and how it is under pressure both by the state 
but also by the formal economy. It must tell us something about um, xenophobia that is uh, something that capitalism produces and reproduces and that the working class, unconscious as, as they may be or conscious, um, is not understanding that they're becoming a very useful tool in the hands of capital. Mm -hmm. And so one has got to read and interpret all of those um, developments in society mm -hmm. uh, because if, you, if your analysis is not correct, mm -hmm. then your tactics and your strategies will fail. Um, and then, of course, it brings me to, to the... Uh, fact that uh, you have a left in South Africa that had always been fragmented, yeah. always been on different poles um, with regard to how to look at world reality and, and what to make of world reality and respond to it. Um, and so uh, formations that you thought had signs of uh, bringing hope um, as in fact bringing uh, hopelessness mm. because of its inability to understand uh, where we find ourselves today. Mm. So how do we how do we revive the trade union movement so that it is cognizant and responsive to the realities of capitalism today? How this is a big question. I'm aware. <laughs> yeah. But how do we revive the trade union movement so it does make connections with movements for the unemployed, with women-led movements who call attention to the crisis of social reproduction and bearing in mind the tremendous challenges mm -hmm. that are in its way in terms of organizing in this context, mm -hmm. more so because of the erosion of organization that has been taking place mm. since the inauguration of neoliberalism what is what, <laughs> I feel bad asking this question but what is the what is the roadmap for yeah. for rebuilding it's a difficult question but uh, with easy answers uh, and it may not be uh, as easy as the answer sounds to implement mm. uh, or to practicalize uh, it's easy because a starting point would be for trade unions and the trade union movement uh, to be politically independent almost immediately mm -hmm. as a starting point. That it would realize that <coughs> workers do not join unions because of our political they are mm. and with who they are in alliance with but they've got immediate needs mm. in the workplace whether private or public um, and, and rather than being politically aligned uh, be advocating for uh, uh, social transformative type unions that engages in the workplace, in communities and in society 
on any method that impacts on uh, the working class, the poor, um, including the middle class. Um, because sometimes one of the mistakes we make, I think, is that uh, there's no acceptance that, albeit that you can, in Marxist terms, consider the middle class as unreliable and unable to follow through anything to its logical conclusion. But uh, there is such a thing as tactical alliances. Mm -hmm. um, and this is one big mistake we make. Uh, we think that to, to uh, ally with the uh, middle strata is a cardinal Marxist sin. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? The trade union bureaucracy is middle class mm -hmm. with middle class lifestyles mm -hmm. with uh, with uh, crass materialism shaping their outlook <laughs> um, so the first step for me is is, is unions becoming independent mm -hmm. away from any, so even if a workers' party arrives tomorrow, there should be no union allied to the workers' party. If it's a movement for socialism, then it would work with other formations mm. to build a movement mm. for socialism. But if you, invariably, if you're a member of the workers' party or the ANC, um, if you look at Pisatu, then Pisatu takes its cue politically from what the ANC does. Mm. And it would defend the ANC even if the ANC is treating healthcare workers with disdain. Even if the uh, expanded public works workers are insecure in their employment. So independence for me is the, the key thing. And the reason, I'm saying that's easy to say, mm. but it's difficult to do. Absolutely. Uh, it will require hard work to get people to understand that you've got to shift. In the interest of workers, you've got to shift. So it's both easy and difficult. The second thing that I think we must appreciate, whether we stand on the rooftops and sound as radical as thy kingdom come, we must appreciate that people, whether the masses that we generally refer to or the working class, uh, look at the history of Africa. They remember who liberated them. Mm. And, and therefore, loyalty will, will always be what who liberated them. It will decline, mm. but rather than vote for the ANC, they will not vote for the EFF. So if the EFF claims today, after the local government elections, that they've gained a percentage, no, they've not gained ground because you had a decline in ANC support and that decline didn't translate 
into ANC supporters voting for you. So there's a decline all over the show um, with a, a almost notion enough is enough, we're tired of voting. Mm. But it doesn't take the ANC out of the equation. With a, with a reduced majority, it continues to govern the country. And it has to now, in local government, take pockets and go into coalition. So you've got to appreciate that the ANC exists, and what you need to build is a left alternative socialist mm. in orientation and in outlook to the left of the ANC. But a kind of uh, socialism you build um, which is underpinned by uh, democracy. And it would not be enough to say, but um, uh, democracy is inherent mm. in socialism. Guess what happened in East Germany? Mm -hmm. And that wall had to come down. Mm. And so you can go to the collapse of uh, uh, communist uh, regimes and so on. So uh, democracy uh, would have to be a fundamental aspect of the kind of socialism we are for. A socialism that would build a new person uh, in a new society where collectivism um, is at the center of what we do. Um, and it's not to say that all of a sudden then socialism comes we there's no place and role for an individual because an individual must still have a dream to become an engineer and not stay a sweeper uh, but it's within uh, the confines of a system that wants to uh, uplift every single person it must be concerned with the ecology and so it must uh, work hard for the fall of capitalism, which is responsible uh, for the ecological crisis that we find ourselves in the world today. Um, a, a socialism that's, uh, I, hate, I used to hate the word pragmatic. Mm. But I guess um, one has got to talk about a socialism that is not tied uh, by its ankles to history uh, mm. and therefore unable to move forward. So that's the second one. I think the third one is to open up um, by, for example, and NUSA almost was on the right track when it organized a conference for socialism where in the PAC, Azapo, the unity movement, Keep Left, Communist Party of South Africa, and a whole range of others were in the same room and there was the same perspective of the need to build something that is an alternative, which is socialist. Mm. Uh, I guess NUMSA spoiled um, what could have been a momentum. So uh, you're not going to say 
we are here to for an amalgamation or a merger of socialist forces. What you are saying, let's start the conversation and see to what extent we can agree on what should be the new politics of the alternative that mm. we vote. Yeah. Mm. And what role do you think in building this alternative, and maybe this could be our, our closing question, what role do you think the trade union movement should play in that? Because having spoken about some of the restructuring of global capitalism and the coming period where, which seems to move towards further precarization of life and more and more people who are in insecure employment, if in employment at all, it seems that not only has the trade union movement weakened, but that as history progresses, its role diminishes slightly. So how can the trade union movement or the labor movement expand its conception of itself to be a force, a potent force in people's lives that, as you say, defends their immediate interests against uh, the ruling class and, and capitalists? I have no right to speak on an initiative that I'm involved in. I can only but say that uh, <clears throat> um, an initiative called the Dialogues for an Anti-Capitalist Future is an exciting venture where in trade unions, social movements, unemployed movements, um, the intelligentsia, and so on, um, has the possibility to embark on a journey that reinforces the work we do, that strengthens trade unions, that strengthens social movements, that strengthens the civic movements, student movements, women's movements, and the like. Um, because I think that uh, to be working in isolation and in silos is taking us actually nowhere and there's no hope that you can rebuild the trade union movement uh, because trade unions if you were to analyze them one by one sometimes find themselves gripped in a very autocratic bureaucracy that uh, would not allow for a democratic discussion and democratic participation uh, in, in uh, uh, organs of civil society on the basis of an anti-austerity, anti-capitalist fight. Mm. But we can help such um, activists in the union movement. Uh, similarly, we can help each other in the social movements to understand that unless there's a connection, a relationship between yourself and the unions as social movements, you're also not going very far. And then lastly, I think that um, um, everything else gets built in campaigns, in struggle. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so one uh, component part on the left may be obsessed with building a workers' party and would minimize the role of class struggle. Mm. Whereas 
there's another so there are always extremes there's an yeah. extreme for a workers party there's an extreme that says you don't need a workers party all you need to do is struggle struggle towards what towards what end and you lose class interest so you have been listening to an interview with Karl Kluter who is the former deputy general secretary of NUMSA, the National Union of Metal Workers. Now, unfortunately, my computer suddenly died as Carl was finishing off the final sentences of his answer to my last question. But worry not because you caught 99% of our conversation. So just wanted to say thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in once again. Thank you to Carl for coming onto the program. And a reminder to all of you to like and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts as well as to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, as well as to check the website regularly for political commentary and opinion on African events and happenings from a left-wing perspective. My name is William Shoki, and you've been listening to AIAC Talk. I'll catch you again next week. Goodbye.